You're listening to Mobile Bunny by Moomoo, demystifying markets one episode at a time. This content is strictly for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be interpreted as a recommendation or investment guidance. Keep in mind that this information is not personalized and should not be the sole basis for your investment decisions as there may be additional factors to consider. IPOs can be risky and speculative investments and may not be appropriate for every investor. Learn more at www.scc.gov backslash files backslash IPO investor bulletin PDF. Hi, welcome to Mobile Money by Moomoo. I'm your host, Justin Zacks, Vice President of Strategy at Moomoo Technologies. I've spent my whole career in and around financial markets. It's something I have a real passion for. This is a show that helps investors gain a better understanding of markets and their money. The IPO market was stronger in 2023 than in 2022, but both the number of IPOs and the total amount of money raised was still low by historical standards. While many of 2023's IPOs performed well, along with the general market, a few of the high-profile ones have struggled. Today, I will explain to you more about how IPOs work and break down how they did in 2023. We'll explore some of the more recent IPO flops and the reasons behind them. Please remember that past performance is no guarantee of future results and that investing is risky and the landscape continues to evolve. Before I get into 2023's IPOs and the best and the worst, I want to go over a little bit exactly what an IPO is. So IPO stands for Initial Public Offering. It's the first time a company offers its shares of stock to the general public. So basically there are, are private companies and there are public companies. And if you're a private company and want to go public, uh, you need to do an IPO. Uh, these IPOs are often listed on an exchange such as the NYSE or the NASDAQ, and they also need to be registered with the SEC And the main form that is used is called an S1. So if you were a investor in one of these private companies that is going to go IPO, you will have your private shares and at the IPO, they would be converted into public shares. In order to help facilitate uh, this process, private companies will hire underwriters. Uh, these are usually investment banks uh, to help with this process, as well as to market the potential offering to gauge demand and establish a price or valuation for the IPO. Note the word initial. Uh, this is the first time a company offers shares. There are what's also called secondary offerings. This is when a public company, a company that's already public, that already had its IPO, uh, also tries to raise capital. These secondary offerings tend to be not as volatile usually as the primary IPO because you already have a pretty good idea of what the public wants to buy and sell a stock for. All you have to know is that they're adding a certain number of shares. For the initial public offering, uh, it's a much trickier uh, thing to try to understand what the valuation is going to be. And, and each investor has a lot of differences of what that might happen. So you might see a lot of volatility around IPOs, both on the upside uh, and the downside. But why do companies go IPO to begin with? And the you know obviously the main reason is to raise capital and that can help them uh, invest in their business. But that's not the only reason. A lot of times they do it to provide liquidity to existing shareholders. A lot of the founders and the venture capital firms and the angel investors, they might have been invested in these companies a long time. And so they want to be able to sell some of their shares and, and have an exit. So it's called an exit strategy. So a lot of times that's one 
one of the reasons. Another reason is just publicity. Public companies are some of the most well-known companies in the world, so that really helps your brand image, uh, and it can help you sell your goods and services. Additionally, you can widen your investor base. A lot of times, uh, companies want to have a, you know, may only have a, a dozen or so or, you know, less than 100 investors as a private company. And as a public company, you, you may have thousands. And this is really great to have a wide investor base in case one investor wants to sell. It's not such a big deal. To give you an example of how the math might work on one of these IPOs, say you have company XYZ. They, they already have a million shares outstanding and they plan to just do a, an IPO where they will continue to have that million shares, but they will sell 10% of those shares. So they're going to sell 100,000 shares uh, to the general public at $100 a share. So in this case, you would raise $10 million uh, at a total valuation of $100 million. And again, an underwriter usually facilitates this process. So they would go to their best clients and offer uh, these shares for $100. So the only way you can get into the IPO is through your broker or an underwriter uh, to get that $100 a share. Otherwise, you would have to buy or sell the stock on the secondary market after it already goes IPO. So if you wonder why, why can't I get that price immediately? That's, that's the IPO price. You would have to go uh, through the underwriter or a broker to get that price. Uh, after that, it's the secondary market. So you may have to pay more and sometimes you will get to pay less uh, for the IPO after it already begins trading on one of the exchanges. And you'll see the first day it trades on the exchange, uh, the exchanges will try to line up the bids and offers. And a lot of times they'll wait quite into the afternoon or at least the late morning to line all, up all these bids and offers. They just don't want to go ahead with a thin book. By doing this, it helps stabilize the price after it actually begins trading. And sometimes that seems to help and sometimes uh, not so much. And we'll get into a few of those examples uh, later in the podcast. Over 100 IPOs with a market cap of at least $50 million priced this year. That's over a 50% increase from 2022. The total proceeds were almost $20 billion this year, and that's over a 150% increase uh, from the previous year. Sounds like a lot of great numbers, but you have to realize uh, that 2022 was just one of the worst years for IPOs ever. So if you took out 2022, Two, 2023 is actually uh, the worst year for IPOs since 2016 on both a value and an absolute number basis. The industrial sector had the largest number of IPOs, and in general, smaller issuers have outperformed the larger ones in 2023. But everyone really wants to know about the big boys, the bigger IPOs. And the three biggest IPOs of 2023 raised about half of all the proceeds, so you can really see what an outsized influence they have on the actual dollar values. And only one of them might be considered a success. But let's let's quickly review uh, the top three arm. Kenview and in, in Birkenstock. Let's take a look at the biggest and most successful large IPO uh, so far in 2023, and that's Arm Holdings. And what we've really seen uh, as a theme in all of 2023 is investors really clamoring for anything AI. And here we have a uh, a British chip maker which makes smartphone chips for almost every uh, smartphone uh, on the planet, and uh, so. 
they are really uh, investors are really looking out for this company, and they they, they were really interested, and it, and it led to a uh, one day pop uh, following the IPO of almost twenty five percent, and uh, as of December twenty second, the stock is up about forty two percent. We did see a little bit of a uh, you know a sell off in the stock uh, a month or two afterward, but it has come back. Uh, it is expensive though relative to the overall market and relative to a lot of the chip stocks. It's uh, forward price earnings a multiple is 70 times. So it's it's really going to have to do a lot of growing uh, to justify that valuation. But they were able to raise uh, almost $5 billion in the IPO and SoftBank uh, still holds about uh, 90% of the company. While AI remains hot in tech generally in 2023, some of the consumer-facing uh, companies didn't fare quite as well in the IPO market. The second largest IPO of the year, Kenview, uh, which raised about $3.8 billion, is a spinoff uh, from Johnson & Johnson. It's their consumer company. Uh, they you know, wanted to focus on the healthcare, so they decided to uh, spin off their consumer company. And uh, its one-day performance uh, was down about 0.7 percent the day of uh, the day of the IPO, and it, it's been down almost three percent of as of December 22nd. Uh, the stock, obviously, consumer companies not going to have the type of volatility you'll see with some of these uh, newer companies that don't have as as much earnings. They, you know, this is a, a relatively um, solid company in terms of uh, their earnings profile and the earnings volatility. So you'll see it go up and go down, but not quite as much because um, a lot of it was already known. So they're trading right around over 17 times uh, forward earnings uh, for this company. The third largest IPO uh, is German of sandal maker Birkenstock. And it's really interesting. Such a fascinating company founded in 1774. And they finally uh, decide uh, to go public. The The CEO said, we see ourselves as the oldest startup on earth. And this is the reason uh, they went public. And uh, maybe they should have stayed private. I, I, I hate to say that. But if you look at the stock performance on the first day, uh, it was down almost 13%. Uh, they raised uh, just over a billion dollars. But that uh, negative 13% was the fifth worst IPO of over a billion dollars uh, in the last 10 years. Uh, it, it has clawed back a little bit and it's now just above the flat line as of December uh, 22nd. Um, but it is still a bit pricey for uh, a shoemaker at 44 times uh, forward earnings. So again, th- this is another company that is looks to have to have grow into their valuation. So it, it'll be uh, really quite interesting to see what happens. But overall, you know, these large IPOs generally don't close lower after the first day, something like around 80% of them uh, close higher. So here we had uh, two of them that were closing lower and that's generally considered uh, somewhat of a failure. You know, you, you obviously want to make uh, the people that are getting in on the IPO price a little bit of money the first day. You want to have it uh, kind of solid. You want to be in there buying. And here's uh, two cases where that didn't happen. Uh, and part of that may be that there was just 
such a strong demand from the initial people that were interested in the companies. There, there just hasn't been that many IPOs. So uh, Ken View, obviously J&J is such a well-known brand and in, in, in Birkenstock, you know, so many people have wanted to get uh, their hands on, on this company for obviously centuries and they haven't been able to unless you were in the private market. You know, that's been a private company uh, for a really long time. And lastly, just want to mention another relatively large IPO. They raised uh, $660 million. That's Instacart. Uh, Maple Bear is the company's name, and it's a grocery delivery service. Uh, and it also did not do uh, particularly well. Very interesting, though, though, it had a, a interesting one-day pop of over 12%, but unfortunately, that was pretty much the high of the year, and it's down uh, over 20% from its IPO price as of uh, December uh, 22nd. And again, also a little bit expensive for, for compared to some of these other companies at a forward PE of about 78. Uh, more companies came public in 2023 than in 2022. Uh, it still, again, was not a lot. And, and a lot of this is as many good reasons there are for going public. There are some other reasons why uh, companies have kind of stopped going public or are more hesitant to do so. Obviously, uh, interest rates have played a, a big role in this, but a lot of it is is the development of the private market of private equity. There's a lot more uh, money uh, available for these companies to borrow. There's a lot uh, more interest in uh, these private funding rounds uh, that hadn't been around uh, 20 or 30 years ago. And, and the next topic I wanted to touch on is, is the regulatory landscape. Uh, and the SEC really has kind of a tough job. Uh, they really want to see companies come uh, public and encourage uh, capital formation. But at the same and at the same time, they want to make sure uh, they protect uh, the investor and make sure everything's transparent. Uh, and then on the company side, they you know they don't want to have too many regulatory burdens and, and they're sometimes afraid of transparency uh, with their financials, which they have kept private for uh, you know, so long since the beginning. Uh, of being a company. So the probably the biggest change we've seen uh, this century is the Jobs Act of uh, 2020, 2012. And, and that really relaxed uh, regulations uh, regarding a lot of the IPO filings and, and information disclosures and communications, all these things. And really uh, what that did initially was for the smaller companies and some of uh, later legislations has changed that to make it uh, for all companies. Probably the biggest change is the idea of a confidential filing. It's it's the idea that you, as a private company, can uh, send some information to the SEC. It won't av- immediately be made public, and you're kind of testing the waters, uh, kind of find out what the investor demand might be. Because a lot of companies, they want to go uh, public, but they're not quite sure, but they don't want to go and just put everything on the kitchen table, say, here's everything we have. It's something that could be detrimental from a competitive standpoint. Uh, so uh, this these changes in, in confidential filings make uh, that a much easier process. And the traditional IPO is not the only way to come public. You can have a direct listing. And, and more recently, what became super popular in 2021 was SPACs. And that's basically uh, an existing uh, company that doesn't really do anything, but is just kind of what they call a blank check company. It's just go ahead 
go ahead and, and create that initial structure. And then uh, a private company is then uh, demerged or reverse merged into that company. And so it's just kind of a way around the traditional IPO process. Uh, and it's burned a lot of investors. This has a lot to do with uh, the financial projections and uh, other things that are made in the SEC filings. There hasn't been that type of liability uh, that you would have for traditional IPOs. And uh, and the SEC is looking to change that, looking to uh, introduce some rulemaking that would allow, uh, impose um, liability on some of the underwriters of these banks at the DSPAC stage. Uh, and this would be in line with uh, tr- your traditional IPOs and and again, this is for any misrepresentations or uh, exposure to you know financial projections that are made. You just can't go and say, oh, you know, I expect this company to just be the biggest company ever. You have to have uh, something to back uh, that up. And speaking about SPACs, there w- weren't very many in, in 2023. And I think a lot of investors had grown wary to uh, the price decreases in a lot of them. Uh, and so... Uh, we did see a few, and one of probably probably the most interesting one is is Vinfast. Vinfast is a Vietnamese uh, EV maker, which is just beginning to start uh, manufacture cars for the U.S. market and the Europe market, uh, and it did a SPAC. Uh, but the interesting part here is, you know, when I talked about ARM before, uh, SoftBank sold about 10% of ARM here, uh, VinFast, uh, when, when the SPAC originally started trading, uh, at, you know, as VinFast, it, it really only had about 1.3 million share float. Basically, uh, the owner of VinFast owned almost the entire float. So what, what can happen in that case is investors will, will go chasing. There's just not enough shares available. And, and so, you know, most of these SPACs start around $10. Uh, and we saw VinFast run up uh, to $93, uh, you know, when it, when it, when it first uh, kind of came up to the market. And that, to give you an idea, at one point, uh, it was uh, bigger than any automobile company except for Toyota and Tesla. And, and, and this is a company that measures its quarterly revenue in millions, not billions, uh, to give you an idea of where this company is. And, and it's not profitable. So uh, that has corrected. And, and at one point, it, it came it almost hit a low of about four and a half, just above four and a half. It now trades eight, eight dollars and something. But just to give you an idea, these types of things uh, or SPACs or any IPO that has a, uh, a small float and it's something to look at when you when you look at these IPOs. See how big the float is because the float is super small. It could be extremely volatile and people uh, will tend, investors may tend to chase uh, some of these uh, momentum plays up and on the downside. So you could see wild swings up, wild swings down. So it's, it's also very important to look at, you know, how many shares as a percent of the entire company is is the private company selling into that IPO? Are there going to be enough uh, to meet that demand? And the more shares there are, the, the steadier uh, and more likely uh, you'll have a less volatility in that type of trading. Before we get into some of the historical pops and drops, the biggest uh, and the best IPOs and some of the, the worst, uh, we have to think about you know, how will we define that? And it's really kind of subjective. Um, so 
Uh, one of the ways you can define it is uh, the one day performance. I talked a little bit about that before. You know, obviously the underwriters really want uh, the IPO to succeed. Uh, the company wants it to succeed. So usually they price them a, a little bit below where the actual demand is. And again, only 20% of IPOs close that first day below uh, that IPO price. So obviously that <clears throat> the one day performance, if you have a really bad one day performance, that, that could be uh, you could call that a you know a bad IPO. At least it is initially for the company uh, and for the people that bought the IPO at the IPO price, and, and for the underwriters, it doesn't uh, look good for them. Uh, it's really a uh, uh, you know pricing that IPO is really about uh, uh, being uh, kind of like the three bears, right? You you know you go into the there and you don't want it too hot you don't want it too cold you kind of want it uh, just right and getting it just right uh is is kind of difficult because if you have that huge initial pop uh you know you can say that's successful but uh, a lot of times it sells right back off so you have this volatility that a, a lot of investors uh don't want to see uh, and then there's longevity. You know, how how long has the company been around? You know, where where is it after its IPO 10 or 20 years later? A lot of times you can measure uh, an IPO's success by, by the company's ultimate success. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the most successful companies now, some of the largest companies uh, in the world uh, that went IPO uh, decades ago. Uh, even then, you can say, you know, well, what if a company had a really good run? Uh, look at General Motors, the original General Motors, right? Went IPO in 1916, uh, but then went bankrupt in 2009. Was it successful? Uh, it was the largest automaker by sales for in the world by, for 77 years. So uh, it sounds like a success to me, but ultimately, uh, the investors that got in at the end there, uh, you know, lost almost all their money when when the company uh, went bankrupt. So uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, what, how, you know, how do you measure the success of an IPO? So with that as a pretext, let's look at uh, what may be considered by the media and other pundits some of the uh, largest losers or some of the biggest flops in IPO history. And we're, I'm going to uh, talk about a, a few different ones. They're all different in different ways, and, and they've all flopped in different ways. And probably maybe the, the most famous IPO flop because uh, it became a symbol of the 99-2000 tech bubble of the idea of jump in first and ask question later is uh, Pets.com. And this was a company uh, that sold um, online pet supplies uh, and they also you know helped to ship these pet supplies and it was it was a, a really difficult business they had five online competitors uh, bulky items were difficult to ship but they did have a really famous sock puppet in all their commercials that that talked to people and it even had its own balloon in the 1999 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade so uh, they had all that hype uh, and so they were able to raise 82 million dollars uh, in in their February 2000 IPO uh, the shares debuted at 11, uh, but quickly uh, the company uh, continued to burn cash and had a, a bunch of losses. And within a year, uh, they were bankrupt. And the day they went bankrupt, the stock was trading at at 22 cents. Uh, and so it, it's what Pets.com is really a lesson in a lot of things. I mean, they were backed by Amazon. 
And, you know, everyone thought, well, if Amazon's backing this company, it's got to be a a great company. Um, uh, They weren't looking into what their cash burn rates were. You know, is it a solid business model here? You know, they had a similar business model to Amazon, uh, but they obviously had a much more competition. uh, And, you know, pet food's a lot more expensive to ship than books. There's a lot more logistical problems. And then ultimately, to be successful, as Amazon was, you needed to expand beyond pet pet food. And then they didn't really have a plan to do that. So all of those things uh, were, were red flags. And, and a lot of people uh, didn't care. They jumped right in. And, and, and what I want to talk about now is, you know, when you're taking, uh, you know, investment advice or looking to others for investment advice, you really need to do your own homework and think about uh what you think about the company. Just because Amazon was in there, that doesn't mean it's going to be a great investment. You just can't rely on other people to do the due diligence, to vet the company, uh, its financials, its prospects, its business model. That really relies upon you as the investor, something that you as an individual really need to do. The second company I want to talk about is theglobe.com. It soared over 600% on its uh, debut uh, in 1998, a, a social networking service. Uh, and so, you know, by the previous def- definition, you might say, well, this was a very successful uh, IPO. Uh, but, you know, that was uh, you know, a short-lived, and we talked about this before, there was just so much excitement and buzz around social media, and it followed uh, the EarthWeb IPO. And again, so many of these IPOs that don't do well in the long term follow, uh, you know, a really successful company because people think, well, that, that can then be replicated. And so then people just are willing to pay, uh, in crazy amounts of money that does don't really relate to, uh, what the business was doing to, you know, to give you an idea, uh, when it went, uh, when it went public, uh, it had nine month financials. It had in the nine months, it had revenues of $2.7 million, million, million dollars. And it had, uh, a net loss of 11.5 million for, for those nine month period. I mean, it wasn't making a significant amount of money at that time. It was only founded in 1995. So it was delisted in 2002 and it actually still trades uh, uh, over the counter in around 18 cents uh, the last time I looked at it, which is which is kind of crazy. Uh, the third more recent IPO that a, lo- a lot of people uh, were really interested in is like, so um, a lot of the failures can be big, right? So the bigger something is, the bigger failure it is in absolute uh, dollar terms, even though a company might not go bankrupt or, uh, and so probably one of the most recent IPO flops is Rivian Automotive. And it, it went IPO in 2021. And it is actually the fifth largest IPO ever. Uh, it went IPO at $78 a share, raising almost 12 billion dollars and that the that valued the company at approximately 66 and a half billion dollars that was 78 dollars now the company's only trading for 24 dollars a share and part of that made you know may be due to that same idea of you know rivian manufactures uh, electric vehicles particularly uh trucks and uh tesla has been so successful in that space and then people you know maybe thought rivian was going to be the new tesla or might overtake tesla and so they were willing to really bid the stock up at one point its market cap traded at over a um, hundred billion dollars and now it's uh, barely over 20 billion dollars uh so you know, again, just people following the crowd, falling in here. It's not just retail 
traders that are doing this. You know, you, you, you can't have a $12 billion IPO without a lot of institutions getting in there. So the institutions are sometimes uh, make the same mistakes that a lot of retail investors do. That's they're just following the crowd and they say, well, this company is going to be the next whatever it is. And here people thought it was going to be the next Tesla. And maybe it will be uh, one day. Uh, but right now, investors have soured on the stock a bit and it has been kind of bumping in these mid 20s for about the last year. What about the best performing IPOs. And, and really, when I think of the best performing IPOs, I just think about stocks uh, that have continued to do well for decades uh, and have had uh, outsized performance and have beat the market uh, by a handy amount. Uh, and probably the, and they've become really big companies and probably the number one leaders in their space. And, and the first of those would be a company like Apple, well, which has really found its footing in, in mobile phones, uh, but has also obviously a, uh, you know, a, a computer manufacturer and, and, and does a lot of other things. But it went public in December 12th, 1980, $22 a share. But uh, that's uh, when you think about the share price, you just you have to account for splits. So the stock split five times since the IPO. Since So if you had bought it for 22, you now would own it for uh, an adjusted price of 10 cents, only 10 cents. So if you want to look at the return, and, and I'm just going to give you in, in approximate numbers. These numbers are so large, you really it almost it's hard to put wrap your head around it. So Apple, if you had you know got in at that IPO, is now up about a hundred and seventy seven thousand percent. Uh, just a crazy number. Uh, you know now trading you know almost near two hundred dollars a share. Uh, and another one that's it's very similar is Nvidia. It's it's much more recent IPO, January twenty second. 1999, uh, and it, it went public at uh, $12 a share. And again, uh, adjusted for those splits, uh, it would be about 40 cents. Now the stock is trading, again, close to $500 a share, a bit, a bit under, and it's up uh, about 124,000% uh, since the IPO, if you got in at that IPO. Just, just some crazy numbers. So that gives you a good idea of some of the the best and some of the worst IPOs, but a lot of uh, you may be thinking about uh, trading an IPO, you know, on that first day, and and you might think, well, why do some of these IPOs trade way above their IPO price or way below their IPO price on on that first day? And there, there's a lot of reasons, and to really kind of begin to understand it, you need to understand, uh, you know, what the underwriters, the investment bankers do is what they do, what's called build the book. So they're looking for a bunch of people, uh, you know, investors to give orders or give indications of how much they might want to buy and at what price. And then ultimately they set a range of that price and then whittle it down into the actual price. So it's, it's kind of a art uh, more than a science a lot of times, and they don't always get it right. And uh, part of the reason uh, that they don't is because it's influenced by a, a lot of things. And ultimately, it's supply and demand. Uh, but a lot of it's uh, investor stickiness. It's like, are these people going to be day trading the stock 10 times the first day or are they going to hold it for 10 years or you know and a lot of the investor base you know are they long-term investors long-term funds that are going to invest in this or are they you know short-term people that are going to get out right away that's just so important uh also a lot also has to do with uh the 
psychology in the market at the time? Is the market, you know, going really crazy? Is it going down a lot? Uh, is there a, a lot of uh, risk on or risk off uh, for for that sector? Is there a lot of interest in in the area that the company in, is in? Again, if it's, if it's an AI stock this year, there was tons of interest, so that may uh, be cause people to bid it up uh, beyond the IPO price. All things you should think about uh, when you're going to try to invest or trade a stock on that first day of the IPO. So when you see these IPOs doing well or not doing well, or there's not that many IPOs or there are a lot of IPOs, you know, what does it mean for you as an investor? What does it mean for the markets overall? What does it mean for the economy? Um, what does it mean for the companies? And, you know, IPOs are cyclical, um, and they're partly driven by economic cycles, but ultimately, again, driven by supply and demand. Uh, when IPOs do well, investors a lot of times want more IPOs. And so it becomes this uh, cyclical thing where uh, if the IPO prices go up uh, for that IPO, then then people want to get into more IPOs and, and it becomes uh, you know just a hot area uh, to invest in. And this also works uh, in reverse. And then on the supply side, uh, that's partly driven by investor demand. Um, the more investors want uh, IPOs or want a particular company's stock uh, and are willing to pay for it, the more likely uh, companies are willing to come uh, public. Uh, but it's also driven by the economy, cycles in the economy, as well as uh, the private market valuation. So if you think about all the, the interest rates have gone up recently, uh, and this has decreased uh, private market valuations for a lot of uh, private companies, uh, and most of them will be unwilling to go public because they want to make sure their existing investors are able to get out at the last uh, funding round valuation or, or possibly even higher. So, so they'll wait. In, until uh, the market gets better, until those private market valuations uh, come more in line to what they recently were. So that was one of the main reasons we haven't seen a lot of IPOs in 2022, 2023. But as, as the interest rates come down, we may see those private market valuations come back up and you may see more IPOs. We'll, we'll have to wait for 2024 uh, to see what happens there. So you might think, well, uh, let me track uh, some of the these IPOs in the IPO market, and that'll give me a good idea of what might happen in the future for the overall market. And it doesn't really work that way. Uh, I'll give you a good example. You know, 2020, uh, 2007 was a really good year for IPOs, but a recession and a stock market uh, drop followed that. So uh, just because uh, we've had, you know, a poor IPO market in 2022, we saw the market, the overall market rip in, in 2023. In 2023, we've seen a better IPO market. It, but that does not mean uh, necessarily uh, mean anything for the overall market for 2024. So don't try to read into you know what's going on with IPOs. There's a lot of different factors that I just talked about that go into that uh, economic supply and demand, the uh, private market, all, all these types of things uh, go into it and, and shouldn't be uh, used to tr try to uh, forecast what the overall market will do uh, going forward. So what will 2024 hold uh, for the IPO market? You know, obviously that's very difficult for anyone to forecast. But uh, what I will tell you is if private market valuations improve uh, and interest rates come down uh, and continue to come down, you may see uh, the IPO market uh, continue to pick up even more than it did in 2023. And there, there's a lot of big names waiting to come uh, public. Klarna, Sheen, Turo, Stripe, Databricks, Reddit, 
all, all of these uh, companies have, are really big companies already in the private market, and they're just writing, waiting for the right time. Um, and a lot of them, you know, have, uh, you know, are using AI or AI adjacent, and this is a, a big theme. And if that continues to be popular, popular, uh, those companies that are, you know, involved in the AI space may be more interested in coming public. So I'll be looking out in 2024, you know, are these, is AI, uh, does AI continue to be a big investor trend? Uh, and if so, are the companies waiting the, in the wings that uh, have a significant AI presence, you know, wanting to come public? The other part, uh, uh, you know, about uh, IPOs that... Uh, it's good to think about is the lockups. So, you know, not only are if you're investing in this IPO for, you know, just trading it for the first day, that's one thing. But if you're if you're going to hold these IPOs uh, for several months, a lot of times they have what's called a lockup. So basically the the uh, original investors, so the founders, the venture capitalists, uh, a lot of times uh, they sell a certain amount of shares into the IPO or uh, the company itself sells shares or there's a combination of the two. Uh, and um, if they want to sell more, these the current investors, they got to wait. And, and so that's uh, usually uh, their shares are, quote, locked up for a certain time period, maybe three months, six months, a year. Well, and maybe that is some type of a vesting, you know, a, a cliff uh, that, that it goes off of. It could be several dates. So uh, all that information will be in uh, their SEC filing. So it's important to look at that and say, because when that date comes, a lot of people will just rush to sh- sell those shares. You know, uh, it'll be, you know, whatever. Whatever, January 31st, and they'll say, you know, that's the lockup date, and then the, the stock will go down uh, because everyone's selling. So it's really important to be aware of all those dates if you are in a recent IPO and, and to see, you know, how big uh, some of these lockups are if, if you know, 5 or 10% of the entire uh, flow of the company is 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 uh, up for sale at a certain period. That's an important uh, thing to know uh, uh, from an investor standpoint. Uh, the other thing I'll be looking for in, in 2024 is... Uh, you know, what will the SEC be doing? Uh, will there be uh, increased scrutiny o- over uh, disclosures and, and uh, financials? And is that going to keep some of these companies private? Uh, uh, and, and the question is, do they need the money? You know, the, the private uh, debt market has gotten uh, much bigger and much more complex uh, in the last decade or two. And, and so these companies are able to raise money in different ways uh, than just public markets. So, a lot, you know, a lot of companies may stay private. It'll be interesting to see if that is a Trend. You know, pu- pu- companies aren't coming public like they did other than 2021, uh, as they did, you know, uh, a decade or two ago. Uh, and in conclusion, I just want to sum up, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, investing in IPOs can be very risky because you're really, uh, you know, dealing with an unknown quantity. You, you want the com- company to report several quarters of uh, financials as a public company uh, to get a track record going. And so uh, you can have a lot of volatility. So you ha- need to be really careful when you're trading these I- IPOs. Uh, in, in particular, you, I, I think about this kind of shiny new thing syndrome, right? Like whenever something brand new comes out and everybody wants it and they're willing to line up uh, for hours to get it in the store and they're willing to pay five times uh, what the retail price is, uh, sometimes IPOs uh, uh, can be that way. Like everyone wants to jump into that brand new thing and, and you really have to be aware uh, that it is, it is an investment and you really should be basing this uh, based on the company's business model and its its financials. Uh, Great talking with everyone. Uh, Have a great day. Bye. IPOs can be risky in speculative investments and may not be appropriate for every investor. Learn more at 
www.scc.gov backslash files backslash IPO dash investor bulletin dot PDF. The opinions expressed are those of the host and any guest speaker and not necessarily those of Moomoo Technologies, Inc. or its affiliates. The podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only and is not a recommendation or endorsement of any particular investment or investment strategy that may be mentioned or covered in the podcast. All investments involve risk and the loss of principal as possible. Past performance does not indicate or guarantee future success. Moomoo is not affiliated with any outside guests or their companies. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be appropriate for all investors. The Moomoo app is an online trading platform offered by Moomoo Technologies, Inc. Securities, brokerage products, and related services available through the Moomoo app are offered by Moomoo Financial, Inc., a member of FINRA, SIPC.